Hello Issaquah Christian, my name is Warren Maynard and I'm glad to be able to join you digitally for the online presentation of our service this Sunday. Today we're going to be going through the book of Acts chapter 22 verse 12 through 22 as we continue on in the series. But before I do, I want to just do a little bit of a digital introduction with you, a little bit about myself. I grew up in Bothell, Washington, I attended Light of the Cross. Lutheran Church, went to King's Christian School in Shoreline, and at 16 years old, in the middle of my high school career, moved to Clearwater, Florida, where God really got a hold of my life in a powerful way and transformed my life. I turned my life over to Jesus, surrendered into a call to ministry, went to college in North Carolina where I met my wife, Leah. We got engaged during our sophomore year of high school got married before our senior year on August 2nd, 1997. So if you're quick at math, that means that you know that we celebrated our 25 year anniversary uh, just a few weeks ago. And uh, I've got two kids. I've got a 19 year old daughter who's entering into her final year at Grand Canyon University in Phoenix, Arizona. And I have a 16 year old son who will be entering into the uh, Running Star program with DigiPen in Redmond this fall. Uh, my wife and I, Leah, like I said, we've been married for 25 years. We've been doing ministry for a long time together. I, I started out as a youth pastor at 19 years old and have been doing ministry for the last 25 plus years as a youth pastor, a church planter, a pastor uh, with Youth for Christ, and most recently, as the executive director of an organization here in uh, the, the greater Seattle region called Impact Players. And Impact Players is a ministry for men that's focused on inspiring men to be great husbands, fathers, and leaders. And it's a tremendous joy for me to walk alongside of men as they go through different steps of their faith journey to help disciple men, to help train up and raise up leaders. And uh, it's just a tremendous blessing and a joy for me to be able to join you now as we get into our study of Acts chapter 22. So a little bit of background here. Paul has been arrested and put on trial, and here he recounts his story. Before beginning his story in verses 3 through 5, Paul stops and kind of gives his LinkedIn profile, a little bit of his, his resume, where he, he begins to share a little bit of his, his background as to why the people he's speaking to should listen to him and should take heed of what he's about to say. And I think this is an important insight, is that he understood he needed to build credibility with the unbelievers that he was speaking to in order to establish a foundation on which he could then share the gospel. And so he focused on his ethnicity. He talked about his religion, his hometown, his upbringing, his education, his devotion and accomplishment, and his passion. And while these things are important to men, they're of little value in God's economy. And I think this is why Paul would later say in his letter to the church at Philippi, that compared to knowing Christ, it was all rubbish. I love that word rubbish. My mom 
is Australian. And so we use that word rubbish a lot growing up. But really, it's a great word because it reminds us that all of the things that we might want to boast about in our LinkedIn profile, our resume, our accomplishments, where we're from, what we've done, God really says at the end of the day, that's not what matters. Do you know Christ? And by explaining all of this to the people listening, Paul was doing a couple of really unique things that I think we can take with us as a tool for sharing our faith with others. And so by describing all that he accomplished, he then was able to share why that held little value in comparison to knowing Christ. Paul goes on to describe how he was given tremendous power and authority to persecute Christians. And I think it's important to remember that great power almost always corrupts. And this is important because when we look at our current circumstances, it might be easy to believe that the key is to gain more power. But in fact, the, the gospel teaches us something very different, that the way to become strong is to become weak. And Paul finally admits that he mistakenly believed that he was defending and honoring God by persecuting the church, but he couldn't have been more wrong, could he? And I think that's a great question that we should stop and reflect on. How often do we hurt Jesus when we think we are fighting for Jesus? Now, in Paul's description of his story, he presents two questions of the most, two of the most important questions that any seeker of truth could ever ask. The first one is, who are you, Lord? And the second is, what shall I do, Lord? I want to just encourage you to take a moment to reflect on those two questions. If you've never done it before, have you ever asked the question, who are you, Lord? To me, I think the most important question that we'll ever ask in this life is, who is Jesus Christ? And your answer to that question will determine your destination in eternity. If you know that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord, then you will respond with a life of obedience and surrender to Him. If you're unsure about who Jesus is, I want to invite you to keep listening, and I want to invite you to lean in and begin to ask that question, Who is Jesus? Who are you, Lord? And that second question that Paul asks in his recounting of his story, he says, what shall I do, Lord? And I think this is the immediate question that every believer should be asking is, God, what do you want me to do in this moment? What do you want me to do next? Is the Lord directing your life? Is the Lord guiding you? So asking those two questions is incredibly important as we think about really at the heart of what we're going to be getting into in our sermon this morning. And speaking of that, it's time to do that. So let's get into Acts chapter 22, verses 12 through 22. I'm reading from the ESV, and I hope that you will read along with me. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, 
well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen was, uh, your witness was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. So as we get into this passage, we see that Paul is blind, he's bewildered, and he's broken over his sin. And God sends to Paul a man named Ananias. And Paul describes Ananias as being a good Jew, a man who feared and obeyed God. Paul wanted his listeners to understand that Ananias did not reject Judaism by following Jesus, but he felt like Jesus was the fulfillment as the Messiah. And obviously Ananias knew who Paul was, right? Paul was the persecutor of the church. Ananias was trying to keep away from the warpath of Paul. And he had some serious reservations about going to see this man named Paul. And so we read a little bit about that in Acts chapter 9, verse 10 through 18. I want to just read that again as a reminder to us of this conversation that Ananias has with God about Paul and then his encounter with him. So in verse Acts chapter 9, verse 10, it says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias, come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard about many about this man, how much evil he has done to the saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed 
and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. So we see in these two passages the overlap of these two accounts, one coming from Paul, the other coming from Ananias. And in both of these accounts, one of these, the things that stick out to me is that in spite of Ananias's fears, in spite of his reservations about this man who was persecuting the church, Ananias obeyed God. He listened to him and he went to Paul. And in both of these testimonies, it says that he addresses Paul as brother. He addresses Paul as brother. And I think as believers, we should remember that we are a part of a family of God. And even those within our family that we may disagree with, even those that we may have reservations about, even those that we may even wonder about whether or not they're really sincerely Christians, we see in Ananias this encouragement to call them brother, to call them sister, to address one another as the family of God, because that is who we are. We are children adopted by God into his family. And before anything else, whatever political differences we might have, whatever uh, worldview differences we might have, at the end of the day, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So Ananias comes to Paul and he obeys God. He tells Paul what, to, what is going to happen next. And in this, we begin to see a great example of what it looks like to begin a journey as a follower of Jesus. And so I want to take the next few minutes to talk about five steps to starting your journey with Jesus well. Five steps for starting your journey with Jesus well. So step one, Paul is blind. He, he's, he's waiting to receive sight. And, and Ananias comes to, to Paul and he says, receive your sight. Now, Paul was physically blinded, but as the great hymn writer John Newton once wrote in the song Amazing Grace, we were all blind before we see. And Paul couldn't earn his way back to his sight. He couldn't work his way back to his sight. He couldn't even will himself back to his sight. He needed to receive the gift of God's grace. And for Paul, a man who had built his whole life on accomplishment and achievement, this was a radical shift in thinking to move from works to grace. Receive your sight. And similarly, each and every one of us, if we want to begin a journey with Jesus, we have to receive God's grace. We have to receive the gift of spiritual sight. Step two, desire to know God's will. God had appointed Paul to know God's will, and he also has appointed you to know his will. Remember, Paul had asked that question just a, a day or two earlier 
What shall I do, Lord? And this is the question that every new believer must humble their hearts to ask. Too often we ask God to bless what I do. We want God to bless our will for our lives. But the true believer must submit himself to knowing and obeying the will of God. This could be a separate sermon, but here are three important ways to know and obey the will of God. Number one, know and obey the word of God. The scripture is the most clear and direct way that we can know God's will and begin to obey it and put it into our lives. So know and obey the word of God. Secondly, know and obey the spirit of God. The Bible tells us that when we become followers of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit enters inside of us. We are sealed by the Spirit. And the Spirit is that wonderful counselor. The Spirit is the, the, the one that leads us to truth and reminds us of the words of Jesus. And so we should be listening to the Spirit and obeying its guidance in our lives. And we know this about the Spirit is that the Spirit of God will never contradict the Word of God. So if you sense that the Spirit of God is leading you to do something, use the Word of God as your indicator to tell you whether or not you are following the Spirit. And then third, submit yourself to the leadership of the local church. This doesn't get discussed a lot, but, but for many believers, they try to live their lives as followers of Jesus as isolated lone wolves. But that was never God's intent. All throughout the book of Acts and all throughout the New Testament, we see that big decisions in our lives are best made in the context of community. And so if you want to learn how to know the will of God, if you want to live your life in obedience to the will of God, part of that means submitting yourself to the leadership of the local church, surrounding yourself with other believers who will speak into your life and help you to hear God's voice, to recognize God's truth, and then to begin to put those truths and those, those words of guidance into action. Step three, see Jesus and hear his voice. The true difference between religion and discipleship is that religion is static and discipleship is dynamic. Religion says, follow these rules that were etched in stone thousands of years ago and God will be pleased with you. But dynamic discipleship is different because we have the ability to see Jesus and hear his voice in our lives. We're able to respond to Jesus when he says, follow me and I will show you the way to go. Jesus is a good shepherd. And, he, and one of the most important steps for a new believer to take is to learn to see, hear, and follow Jesus. This is what Jesus meant when he said, abide in me in John chapter 15. You and I, we can have a dynamic relationship with Jesus as his followers and as his friends. Number four, be a witness to everyone. 
A witness is someone who honestly recounts what they have seen and what they have heard. And if we're regularly seeing Jesus and hearing his voice, we're always going to have something fresh and new to give a witness to. And being a witness is not hard. It's, it's really just simply saying, this is what Jesus did for me, and he can do it for you too. And God's instruction to Paul through Ananias reminds us that we should never discriminate against those we witness to. For Paul, this meant to witness to both the Jews and the Gentiles. Our witness should really have no restriction. We shouldn't be restricted by ethnic or socioeconomic, political or even gender issues. And ironically, many people I think today discriminate in their witness towards non-believers. The people who need the gospel the most, they say, I can't share the gospel with him. He's an atheist. I can't share the gospel with her. She's a Mormon. I can't share the gospel with that family. They're Hindu or they're Buddhist. But they're the very ones that need the gospel. The gospel is for all. And I love this accusation that was laid against Paul in the preceding chapter as they said that Paul was the, they said, this is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere. And I think even though they meant that as a criticism, even though they meant that as an accusation, that was Paul's mentality. That was Paul's mindset was everyone everywhere. And we should adopt that same philosophy as well, is that God has called you, God has called me to be a witness, to be a testimony, to share the gospel with everyone, everywhere. No limitations, no holding back, no discrimination whatsoever. God has called us to share the gospel freely and fully as we follow him in our lives. Finally, number five, Ananias tells Paul to rise and be baptized. We see all throughout the book of Acts these words, repent and be baptized, packed together. And it's a little different in our day and age where people want to schedule their baptism and they want to make sure that their friends and family are able to come and to view and to, to be a part of that special moment and day with them. But in the early church, salvation and baptism happened generally at the exact same time. And that's true in many other cultures around the world, even today, that, that repentance, turning to Christ in faith, and baptism are really a part of one expression of belief in Jesus Christ. And I think we should uh, make sure that we understand the importance of baptism too. Baptism is a public declaration of a personal transformation through Christ. And when we're baptized, we're saying to the world, I have pledged my allegiance to Jesus Christ. Spiritually, my old self, sinful self has died with Christ on the cross, and a new self has been resurrected to faith in Jesus Christ. I now identify as a follower 
of Jesus. That's what baptism is. It's telling the world, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and this is what it is. But in addition to that, I think one thing that gets missed in some circles is that baptism is also the entry point into the fellowship of a local body of believers, the local church. And being baptized not only means that you're aligning yourself with Jesus, but it also means that you're aligning yourself with a local body of Jesus believers. And this is a very, very important step for every new believer. Any believer who tries to live as a disciple of Jesus separately from a commitment to the local church, church is both living in disobedience and setting themselves up for spiritual failure. So are you a new believer? If you are, have you begun to walk through these steps? Have you begun to receive the gospel? Have you begun to know God's will? Have you begun to try to hear and, and follow Jesus with your life? Have you been baptized yet? Are you walking with a new believer? Are you helping disciple somebody who's new in their faith? Where are you in these five steps in your journey with Jesus? Now, as we return back to the story of Paul recounting what his transformation, his conversion was like, Paul skips a significant amount of time from verse 16 through 17. Verse 16, he talks about being baptized. And then in verse 17, he says, When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance. Now, the time that took place between verse 16 and 17 was somewhere around a three-year window of time. And it, it, it's a time that Paul describes in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 through 19. So I want to just take a moment to remind us of that in Galatians 1, 11 through 19. So Paul describes what happens after his conversion in, in Damascus. And he says, For I would have... For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism, but beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the, the Lord's brother. So Paul describes how over this 
three-year window, he spent time with the Lord, trying to study the scriptures, trying to understand this gospel. And he talks about really receiving clarity on the gospel from the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a good reminder for us that the journey of discipleship and spiritual growth takes time, even for someone as well-educated as Paul. So Paul skips over this three-year window, and in verse 17, he describes a different encounter that he had with Jesus, this time not on the road to Damascus, but in the temple in Jerusalem, not through a blinding light, but by way of a prayer-induced trance, not as a violent persecutor of the faith, but as a growing disciple of Jesus. And this is Paul's first time back to Jerusalem since his conversion. It's been about three years now. And he probably had greatly anticipated this moment. Perhaps Paul imagined that he was going to have a great ministry in Jerusalem, converting fellow Jews to Christ and preaching to, to Gentiles who came into town. But God had other plans. And I think this is interesting because Paul was really, in many senses, Mr. Jerusalem. Yes, he was born in Tarsus, but he moved to Jerusalem when he was, in about, when he was about 10 years old to study under the great rabbi Gamaliel. From the ages of 10 to about 29, Paul became both famous and infamous for his meteoric rise as a Jew and as a Pharisee. Although God made it very clear that his plan for Paul included reaching Gentiles, Paul probably didn't understand that that meant that he would only be in Jerusalem for only a few days and then a few months at a time, spending the better part of the next two decades on the road with the gospel. For many of us, the journey with Jesus will not go as we might expect or plan. But God is always with us. While Paul was pleading his case with Jesus on why he should stay in Jerusalem to preach to the Jews, Jesus was, was calling Paul to leave Jerusalem. Jesus said, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. As Paul concludes his testimony and his speech, so am I concluding this message. But I want to point out one last thing here in verse 22. All right, so get this. Paul says to the crowd that Jesus sent him to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. And the Jewish crowd absolutely flips out. And they turn into rabid dogs. And that, you know, it's like they're they're listening. They're following along, they're tracking with what Paul's saying, and then all of a sudden they get triggered. They hear that the gospel is for Gentiles, and their inherent racial bias that was intermingled with their religious and political ideologies causes them to fly off the handle and become completely outraged to the point that they want to kill Paul in that moment, on that spot. And we need to be reminded as well that we need to be very careful about doing the same thing in our lives. 
Sure, we probably won't riot and kill anybody, at least I hope not, but we live in a day where the news media drives profits through instigating outrage. And we should be known as believers as reasonable and thoughtful. Followers of Jesus who demonstrate both the compassion and the conviction of our master. Similarly, we shouldn't be surprised when an aspect of the gospel or our Christian faith outrages those who do not believe. The gospel is offensive and many people will reject it, but we cannot stop preaching. Paul learned that whether he was preaching to Jews or preaching to Gentiles, he was going to face opposition. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, 22-24, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The gospel will always offend, but we should never stop preaching the gospel. Have you received this gospel, this good news of salvation that Jesus has made available to you through his death and through his resurrection? We can't earn it. We can't achieve it. We can't attain it but we can receive it by faith in Jesus Christ. If you've never made that profession of faith, I wanna invite you today to, to pause for a moment and to acknowledge your sinfulness before a holy God, to ask God to be your savior, to ask Jesus to be your Lord. And in doing so, place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Are you sharing your story like Paul in this story that we read today? Paul was not ashamed to speak of what Jesus had done in his life. And are you preaching Christ? Preaching the gospel is not reserved for pastors. God has called all of us to be ambassadors for Christ wherever we go. How are you following Jesus in this journey of faith? Thank you, Issaquah Christian. I look forward to seeing you in person on Sunday morning.